When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's just, it is a crazy day. There is just, this is what life is though. There's just so much stuff. I just flew back from Phoenix yesterday. I had an interview with Brittany Griner's wife, Cherelle. Wow. And I'm just, I'm so filled with that story because it's just so, yeah, you it's know, my, my life for the last 10 days, it was Serena, it was the queen, it was Harry Styles, it was... Uh, Jennifer Hudson. I mean, it was just a crazy, crazy last 10 days. Brothers and sisters, my name is Kirk Franklin, and I come to give you good words. Let's go. Well, good words, family. Today's guest. She's got Emmys. She's conducted some of the most relevant interviews of our time. I mean, from world leaders, Barack Obama, even to the one that will live in our minds in urban infamy, the R. Kelly conversation, and just how powerful that was and how she handled that with so much poise and swag and drip. It was amazing. She's an editor-at-large at Oprah Daily, host of her own weekly radio show, Gail King and the House on Sirius XM, and you can find her every weekday on CBS Mornings looking beautiful at 4 o'clock in the morning. She's on TV <laughs> at 4.15 looking amazing, y'all. Please welcome the brilliant, and she knows my name. Stop ladies it, and gentlemen. That's why I was saying stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Okay, okay. Let me say, let me finish. Ladies and gentlemen, Gail King. I can't help it. I can't help it. Listen. What's going on, Queen? No, no, when they said you wanted to talk to me, I said, the Kirk Franklin? I'm not kidding. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I am not kidding. He wants to talk to me about what? I don't have anything to talk about, but he wants to talk to me. I want to talk to him. Your song, Smile. I love your song, Smile. I use it on my radio show because I like to end the radio show with what I call bright spots. And so then Thank you. every time I hear that song, that's what it makes me. It just makes me feel good. But Thank many you. of your songs you. do that. It's not like you just got one. You have a whole library. Well, you make the world feel good. You make the world. Thank you. You make the world feel good because every time we see you interview people, we know that it is really an invested interest. We can tell that you handle people mm. with a, a level of compassion and empathy, which is what society is missing so much of right now, Miss King. And we love to watch your brilliance and how you just flow so, so effortlessly when you are engaging men and women about even some of the most difficult questions mm. and subjects. And we salute you. I salute you. I appreciate that, Kirk. I appreciate that because the way I look at my job is this. I never want anybody to feel it's a gotcha situation ever. Mm. I believe any question can be asked. You just have to have the right tone, the right place, and the right time. 
Now, sometimes when you're live on television and you only have two minutes, that's not the time to throw out a question. What happened when you got picked up for prostitution? You, yeah, know, you have yeah. to have the right time. And people have to understand that. I'm not trying to put you in a gotcha situation. I'm always yeah. trying to give you a platform to tell whatever it is you want to tell in the way that you want to tell it. And I think people feel that. I, I think people feel that. How did you learn how to do it, though, with such a sensationalized culture that we're living in? Because, you know, people have ADD and so many yeah. people are like microwavable in their time and energy. How did you learn the skill set to not be I got you, but still keep our attention with real, authentic journalism? Because I think, Kirk, I've always thought it's not about me. It's about you. I see some people who are interviewing people who shall remain nameless. And you can tell... I believe they're trying to make a moment. And I'm never trying to make a moment for myself. And so I think that when you approach it that way, it, it, it's not it's not hard. Plus, it's the nature of my personality. I've always been a very chatty kid, always. When I was a kid, I was called nosy. I prefer to call it curious <laughs> or, or, or inquisitive. Me too. Me too. Yes. I was nosy. I was nosy. <laughs> yes. I don't like nosy, Kirk. I don't like nosy. <laughs> but I've always been that kind of kid in the class. You know, gotcha. when I was little, I lived in Turkey as a kid from first grade to sixth grade. Wow. I got a letter home from the teacher that said, Dear Mr. and Mrs. King, Gail is a very bright girl. She's a good student, but she tends to talk a lot in class and is disruptive. <laughs> so we're bringing it to your attention. And I was raised in a house. If the teacher said something and you disobeyed the teacher, yeah. you were in big trouble. Yes, sir. That's different these days. Kids are hitting the teachers. That just isn't something that would be done. I would love to be a teacher. I would love right now, yeah. let me tell you something, I would have bail money up under my mattress <laughs> because I'm telling you, let one of them little whippersnappers try to swing on me. I'm busting a third grader in the nose. I'm telling you, it's going down. <laughs> but Kirk, you know it all starts at home, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It all starts at home and how you were raised. That makes a difference. And I believe if kids don't think you care, then they don't care what you think. Mm. And I always wanted my children to know, I have a favorite son, favorite daughter, always wanted them to know that I cared. Yeah. And I was deeply, deeply engaged and involved. So listen, where did you get this passion for your engagement with pop culture? Because when I watch you I talk it, yes. to some of the most relevant voices, the most controversial voices, you do it with such ease and you can tell that it's not just an assignment. So where did that come from for you? You know, I think it still goes back to, I have so many varied interests. For instance, I will go, my my favorite son and I flew from, I was in New York, he was in Shanghai. We flew to Paris to see Jay-Z and Kanye on stage. Wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. You remember that back in the day. Hold on, wait. We flew to Paris. Wait a minute, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to let her get by that easy. Did you, did you hear the flex? Did you hear the flex? You said we were in no. Turkey and we left New York and we were and we were on our way to Paris. And so we went to go see uh, Jay-Z and Ye. But see, we're not going to let her get by that easy. In, that in was Paris. a super flex. In Paris. No, in no, Paris. no, no. I'm, no, Paris, I'm trying Texas. to make a point. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, Paris, keep France. Going. I'm trying to make a point. So when I go there, people go, what are you doing here? I like the music. I'll go to a country music. I love country music. I'll go to a concert. What are you doing here? You know, and it's just that I love it so much. I am just as comfortable talking to Barack Obama as I am a real housewife. Wow. And I have, I, I have done them both. 
because I find them both very interested. I have my share of ratchet TV shows that I watch. It's a guilty pleasure for me. I have the highbrow, I have the low, I have the medium. That has always been my life. Now, you know, it, it, this is funny about Favorite Son Will, because he has loved Jay-Z since he was nine. And you know mm. that song, Give Me That Stuff, That Swishy Stuff, That Good Say ah! What? You remember that. But Kirk, listen, Kirk, Kirk, listen to this. This is funny, this is funny. When he was nine, I went in and I said, what are you listening to? You cannot listen to that. You, Will, you were too little, you cannot, you know, give me that. And he, and he was singing it with gusto. And I said, you don't even know what that means. You cannot listen to that. Cut to 2000, whatever, me and Will. Make some noise! Both of us side by side. So, I mean... So this I got Oprah's, introduced. This is Oprah's best friend. This is Oprah's best friend, yo. Well, you, Talking about you're giving not, that sweet, that gushy stuff. Oh my God, yo. You, you know the words. You know the words. I'm married. Now, I, I know the words. I don't think you'll find I, Oprah at the concert. I don't think you will. But that's okay. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, so let me ask question. As classy and as dope. I like and, the music. And, and as elevated as she is, who would have ever known that she was a boss? You are so fly. I did not know you were this fly. Okay, so who is your but, but favorite? But also, I'm a big square. Kirk, I'm a big square. I really am. I really But you am. got I some drip on you, though. Yeah, you got some drip, though. I have some drip, but I am a big square. But <laughs> I, if you, I listen to the lyrics of rap music. I listen to the lyrics of country music. You know, uh -huh. some of it is is a bit much for me. Some of it is. Yes. But when you yes. listen to the lyrics and you meet the people who are doing it, you meet the people who yes. are doing it. Really, yes. really great people. And I, I, agree. I don't lose sight of that. So who is your most interesting for Miss Gale? Who is the most mm -hmm. interesting pop cultural individual? Like they keep your attention. You are fascinated by them. Harry Styles, without question. Harry Why? Styles. His, number one, he has a new album out. I love, listen to that album. It's called Harry's House, really great. Harry Styles, I believe, 28 years old, is changing the game in how we look at masculinity, how we look at mm. fashion. He is a big proponent of treating people with kindness, something we, we all are lacking today. And he's just extremely talented. You know, I think that he's wise beyond his years. So he sings, mm. he's in fashion, he acts. And, and I've met him, and I just think that he is the real deal of a human being. So I'm very fascinated by him. And big, big, big fan. Wow. Big fan. Now, and I think that some of his gear, some of the stuff he rocks, I'm jealous. I mean, it's some of, It's like, different. Like, it's uh, different. There, there's a look that he rocks that is monochromatic, and it's like satin, silk, monochromatic. It's the boots. It's the pants. It's the suspenders. Yeah. It's yeah. the shirt. And I'm like, uh-uh, bro. Yeah. I need that in my closet, bro. But Kirk, all uniquely him, you know, all uniquely yes. him. Yes. You know, he's yes. not yes. trying to, uh, he's not really, e I think, even trying to covet attention. It, it's just simply who he is. Gotcha. And I like that. Gotcha. I like that. Well, if you ever talk to him again, please let him know I'm a fan. I'm a I fan will. of his swag. I'm a fan of his drip. I've been a fan of him since he was in the boy band. So I'm Yeah, One I'm, Direction. I'm a, yeah. Yeah. I'm a super fan. Now, you. You were born in Maryland. Yes. You know what? I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but I was only there for like 18 months. But I was born in really? Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, we didn't stay there very long, so I have no memories. I have a baby picture of me and my dad, and I'm going down the slide. And then we moved to the Washington, D.C. area. Why? Well, because my dad worked for the government. He was an electronic engineer who worked for the government. 
And so we were in D.C., and then he was transferred to Turkey, to Ankara, Turkey. Now, people have said to me, a black man sent to Turkey in the 60s, you know your father was with the CIA. I don't know that. Mm. I don't know that. But I will tell you this. Uh, my dad had a room in Turkey that had all this electronic equipment that we were not allowed to go into. Mm. And he would be up at all hours of the night. I was told he was a ham operator, and that was his hobby. He'd be up at all hours of the night going, Morse code. And when he died, he died when I was a freshman in college. My mom and I were executors of the estate, and I was going through, you know, going through the clothes and wallets and stuff. And I found a, a pass to the White House, for Scott King was his name, a pass to go through the White House gate. And I thought, well, that's strange, electronic engineer. So I don't know. Wow. I was never told that. I was never told that. But that was always speculation as I got older, and I would tell people this story. Girl, that's some tea. That's some tea right there. <laughs> that that that's crazy. So you have no idea that your daddy really could have been like. <laughs> but I I don't think so. And now you know my mom is gone. My dad is gone. I I don't even know how you even get the answer to that. But the older I get, and the re uh, the more I realize how government works, could be I don't know. Oh my gosh! I was never told that as a kid. Never told. That, that is crazy. He could be a secret Negro spy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so dope. Sounds like a book, but I don't think so, Kirk Franklin. The secret Negro spy. I love that. <laughs> so, so how old were you when you took that flight to Turkey? From first grade to sixth grade. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you just go where your parents go. True. You, know, you, you don't think, you know, where are we going? How long is it going to be? What are we going to do there? You know, you lived where your parents lived. So to me... Living in Turkey didn't even seem that odd. It was just, this is where we live. I went to an American school. There were very few black people there. Okay. And I remember, you know, that that was just sort of my life. I traveled a lot as a kid. For vacation, we would go to France. We would go to Italy. We would go to Greece. And I have pictures wow. walking around the Acropolis in Greece saying to my dad, God, it's so hot. Why are we looking at a bunch of rocks? Why can't we go back to the hotel and go swimming? You know, and now as an, an adult, I have great appreciation. I think everybody, if you can, should expose your kids to travel. I think that's yes. very, very, very important. So how did that amount of travel impact your worldview? Well, I mean, I, I think it just opened me up to so many things. I realized that the United States of America is just only one part of the world. The world is a very big place. And from the time my children were little, I wanted to expose them to travel when you can. I think that that's important. I think exposure to things is very important. True, true, true. And I even say that even people like myself that subscribe to a certain faith, you cannot be so intimidated by how big the world is that you don't open yeah. yourself up to be able to see how other people process and think. And that's not an attack against what you believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly that you can't live in these silos. And I think that that's why we have such a lack of empathy. It's because people yes. live in their own silos. And so they're only compassionate about the things that impact them. Yes. And so I think that's beautiful. Now, with all of that world travel, and, and I'm quite sure that your mother and father were very intellectual people because, I mean, you don't have this type of exposure and not try to download that in your kids. Yeah, they went to Howard. They both, they met at Howard University. Are you serious? Yeah, they both went there, yeah. That's so dope. Wait a minute, your background is dope. That's where they met. Wow. So for me, when I was growing up, it wasn't a question of 
if you're going to college. It's like when you go to college, you know, my father was a stickler for homework. I can remember very vividly, you know, I was sitting in Turkey. We didn't have television, so no one had television. I did a lot of reading Mm -hmm. and I was outside playing. He said, have you done your homework? I said, I don't have any homework today. He goes, well, what? Six times six. I went, uh, he goes, you have homework. Come on in. I mean, and I had to sit there and, and look at the multiplication tables back in the day. So I, I was raised that education was very important. And, you know, it, it wasn't said you had to be a straight A student, but you did have to tell me that that was the best that you could do. Now, if you can tell yeah. me that's the best you can do, then I'll let it go. But most of the time, you know, that's not the best that you can do. Yes. Yes. Man. Now, did you know what you wanted to be growing up? You know, no. Listen, I I, I, I was playing with Barbie dolls when I was 12. You know, I was really? a very... Yes, I was a very, you know, I lived in the suburbs, just very quiet, very, I don't want to say sheltered because I was very active in school. I went to University of Maryland and I remember sitting there looking at the registration book. What am I going to major in? Because I really wasn't sure. I knew I wasn't good in math or science. I didn't like any of those, but I did like reading and writing. And I chose psychology because I have always to this day, like listening to people's problems and giving Mm. unsolicited advice. I'm very good at it, Kurt. Very good. (laughs) That's my son and daughter. So I thought I'd be a good psychologist, child psychologist, or I could see myself in a courtroom as a lawyer. I thought I'd be very good in front of the jury arguing a case. And I just sort of fell into television. I was working, you know, next door when I was a college student at a camera store. And uh, the TV station was next to the camera store. And I caught the attention of one of the mucky mucks there. And I got a job there. And then I was hooked. I walked in a TV newsroom and I was like, wow, this is so cool. How do I get to do this? And that's how it started. Really? That's how it started. Really? Now, how did you fuel that fire? And the reason why I ask this is because, like you know, Miss King, there are millions of people that- You can that, call me uh, Gail unfor- or Your Highness. I don't like Miss King. And I'm going to call you Your Highness. <laughs> it's, I'm calling you Your Highness. That's no, what I'm going to do. You're going to call me Gail. Stop it. <laughs> but how do you fuel the fire, you said? Meaning that there are still, to this day, uh, um, Gail, <laughs> that, <laughs> that there are millions of people that still do not know how to tap into their purpose. There are so many people that still struggle with, what am I called to do? What am I created to do? When you found that spark, okay, broadcasting, journalism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kind of feel that. What was the next step for you to fuel that fire so that you were walking into your ordained purpose? Because I just decided I want to make myself invaluable. I always say to people, when you get, you know, if you're interested in television or any job, make yourself invaluable to the powers that be and that they know your name, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Mm. You know, I can always tell people who I say have the it factor. You know, we have interns that come in and you can see them. I'm looking at my watch. They're like, God, how much longer? Uh Uh Or or Uh you're a kid like me that just says, can I go out on a story with you? Is there anything that I can get for you? Do you need any copy? Do you need any research? I was one of those kids. So People noticed me. They could tell, wow, she's always volunteering to do stuff. Make yourself invaluable. And, you know, listen, you're going to get a lot of no's, but, you know, you know what no spells backward? Kirk, what is no spelled backward? What does that spell? No spelled backwards is on. N-O is what? On. Game on, I say. Game on. Game on. Don't say no. Say game on. And you don't Why did I get get nervous? Why did I get nervous when you said spell no backwards? I was like, uh, uh. 
Uh, uh, it does sound like it's going to be complicated, but it's yes. not. <laughs> I got so scared. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to show these folks. I'm going to show these folks how dumb I am. Okay, so 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 now you recently celebrated the one-year anniversary of your show on yes, CBS Mornings. with our new team. So I've been at CBS for 10 years. 10 years. Wow. Congratulations. Per- yeah, 10 years. And I thought, God, the hours are crappy. I hate the hours, but I love the job. And but we won our first Emmy for best live newscast. I'm very proud of that. Nate Burleson, Tony DeCopel, and I. So we're very excited. But even winning an Emmy, Kurt, we are still not thinking. Oh, look at us. We're all that. We still know there is work to do, and we want to mm. do the work. So I'm feeling pretty good. How do you? And once again, this type of questions for people that are still trying to get the knowledge of how to be. How do you gain that level of success, but still stay hungry? Well, because I don't care who you are or how good you think you are, there is always something to learn. There is always room to grow. And I feel that even for myself, even for myself, I am always trying to figure out how can I do it better? How can I be better? You know, do I get off the air and say, God, I wish I would have asked, you know, the great question comes to you when you get off the air. So I'm I'm thinking, there's always room to grow and always room to learn. Mm. And I hope I never lose that. I never want to be blase, you know, people smoking a cigarette like I got this. I always think that there is a way to do your job better, myself included. You know, Kirk, listen, listen to this. I, I'm at the CBS network where when I was in Turkey and we came back to the United States, we had to watch the news every single night because my father said, you should always know what's going on in the world. We were watching CBS with Walter Cronkite. Yes. It's a full circle moment to me. I I know he's watching because he would be so proud that I'm sitting here at CBS. For a minute, Walter Cronkite's map was behind my head when we were doing a story. I just thought, wow, if my dad could see this. But the point I'm making is Walter Cronkite had to retire at 65, Kirk. 65. I'm 67. I'm 67. And I feel... In so many respects, I'm not even kinda thinking about the R word. Not even kinda. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't say look at the age. I say look at the person. Make it person appropriate, because yes. not everybody. You know, I see some 67 year, years old, and you know they feel much older, and some feel much younger. It's all a, a state of mind and how you feel about yourself. Walter Cronkite. Man, you that was the name. You remember Walter Cronkite? Remember him? I, I grew He's up with mo- that name in my yes. house. When I he grew said, up my- that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Yes. Yeah. That's what Man. we grew too. He was a legend. Yeah. But you know what, though? You are making the same trail. You are turning into this person that we can come to trust and believe what you say. Because one thing about Walter Cronkite is that so. yeah. you tuned into him because you you believed that whatever he presented to you, that he believed it as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. No one can ever say about me that she didn't work hard. Mm. No one can say that. But Kirk, this is the age that we're living in today where it's kind of scary. So I'm in Phoenix. I told you that I went to interview Brittany Griner's wife and I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I'm going to the gym in the morning because the hotel where I'm staying, the gym was under renovation, which was mm. annoying, Kirk, by the way. <laughs> if I had known that, I wouldn't have stayed in that hotel. That's a I whole feel your story. pain. I feel oh, your I pain. So, especially when you're on the West Coast, you wake up, your body clock is on East Coast time. So I was yes. awake since four o'clock in the morning. Yes, yes. So they said, oh, you know, we've worked out a deal with the gym. It's two blocks away. So I'm walking to the gym. <laughs> 
I'm walking to the gym. This lady goes, Gail King. Now it's dark. I don't even know how she recognized me because it's, uh-huh. it's that twilighty kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I was wearing a hotel bathrobe because I thought, oh. let me just scoot here and Gail King. And I go, hey. And she goes, you're a liar. You suck. CBS is horrible. You guys. And then she started oh. screaming at the top of her lungs. Oh. You guys are terrible. And she said something about, I heard the word election or something. All of you media people, you stink. You're liars. Fake news. You know, that kind of stuff. So oh I'm my like, God. to myself. I'm by myself. And then I'm at a light. And I'm thinking, oh, God, like, please turn green. There's a guy standing next to me. And I go, what is she saying? Because after she said, Gail, CBS, you're a liar, da, 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 da. After she said that, I couldn't understand another word she was saying. So the guy, it's just some random stranger on the street. He said, uh, oh, I don't know man. what she's saying, but uh, sounds like you did something in your past that she's upset about. So, you know, just when you think, oh, you're all of that, there, you'll meet somebody. The lady was clearly a wackadoodle. But, you know, we live in a climate today where people just feel that they can say anything to you at any anything. time. Anything. Anything. That's a little disconcerting. That's a little disconcerting. But I wasn't going to engage with this woman. I was not going to do that. So imagine if I started screaming back at her. That is, by the way, Kirk, that has never happened to me before, ever. And ladies and gentlemen, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And let's get back into it. Do you feel that since the last four to six years and the country has been in so much turmoil, do you feel sometimes that you need security? Yes. And, so, and, and lately I've had security, to be honest with you. Yes. I've never felt the need, but lately I have had that. I have. Yes, yeah. I have. How has that been for you now, having something a little more intrusive in your private space? Well, it's different because I go, you know, I'm just going to go to Starbucks and get a white hot chocolate. <laughs> you go, okay, <laughs> we're coming with you. You know, so uh, that's a little, yeah. okay, now I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get a pedicure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. ma'am, we'll be right here. But, yeah. you know, I make no apologies for it. I think these days you do need it. You do need it. Yes. You do. That is a crazy story. It is crazy. It was crazy. It was very frightening, too, by the way. But people feel emboldened and empowered to scream and holler and there's no accountability. And we live in a society where people are encouraged and rewarded, I would even say, to be their worst possible selves. They're rewarded by doing that. And so, yes, I now, and, and yes, I now travel with security. Don't you? Um, you know, every now and then yes. I may have, or you know what, even if I don't, I still have a little friend because I live in Texas. So, <laughs> so I'm licensed to carry. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. How, how much Praise of this? House, yes. amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll bust a cap. Okay. <laughs> uh, how much have you seen this hostility grow since the last administration? Oh, it's definitely grown. I mean, you know, our, our last president, to be very diplomatic, was very fluid with the truth. And, you know, people now can say things with no accountability and just put that stuff out there. That's one thing I do pride myself at CBS. 
we are not hired to give our opinions. We're hired to give you the facts and then you can decide. Mm. But we do feel very strongly about the facts. Mm. And so I encourage people to at least do your own due diligence. But we live in a society that there are still people, Kirk, who think this election was stolen, <sighs> even though it has been proven time after time after time after time. Yes. You know, lawsuits have shown th this was a fair and square election. Yes. There are still people who believe that. There's still people who are looking at January 6th and telling you those were some patriots yes. who went up to the Capitol. That's crazy. It is crazy. So that is scary. So we're about to enter an election cycle. You know, there's something in the news right now. Herschel Walker is running against Raphael Warnock in Georgia. This is a very tight race. Yes. And you have, you know, he's being accused of all sorts of things. His own son is coming out saying, my dad's a liar. Wow. I mean, and it's it's just gotten very scary. So I, I don't take that lightly. I don't take it lightly. So listen, when it comes to your interview specifically, mm -hmm. what source of feedback are you most likely to pay attention to? Like, is it ratings? Is it social media? Is it the response from your peers? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I always prepare for my interviews. And it's not necessarily ratings. We won for best newscast. And why that means more to me is because we were judged by our peers. Mm. You know, what my peers think matters to me. But I also know that you have to have your own inner guide, too. I know when things haven't gone according to plan. Or I know myself when I could have done it better. So I'm, I'm yes. very hard yeah. on myself. But me too. I, me too. Yeah, I'm very hard on myself. But I rely on the people who I trust and respect. Their feedback matters more to me. Because <clears throat> what we also know, Kirk, is that we can't please everybody. Yes. Amen. And I learned a long time ago, stop trying. Amen. So if you can please yourself, start with yourself, number one. And then the people whose opinions that you respect and admire, that matters to me. And of course, you know, to succeed in morning news... The people have to like you. They have to like you and they have to trust you. So I would like to think that viewers trust me and that they like me. I would like I would like to believe that. Now, you know, I've got to ask you this. You have been able to land some very memorable, notable interviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, from President Obama, Megan the Stallion. I really like Megan the Stallion. Oh gosh, my heart opens up to that girl. To, uh, once again, the infamous R. Kelly interview. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have had some strong reactions to your interviews. How much do you pay attention? And more than anything, when you have interviews like the R. Kelly interview, mm -hmm. how do you handle the tension and not knowing exactly what's going to happen in those moments and still maintain the level of posture that we saw you maintain? Is that from years of experience or were you quietly, privately losing your mind going, oh, my God, this man is about to go crazy on me? No. You know, if this had happened to me earlier in my career, that I would have been very frightened. But I actually wasn't frightened because and I didn't know I didn't know Robert Kelly. I did not know him. Really? No, I didn't know him. I had seen him at Jimmy Iovine had a party for his wife, Liberty, mm. a few years before. I had seen him at different things, but I didn't really know him. Um, I Believe I Could Fly was one of my favorite songs. Everybody's oh, favorite song. song. It was one of my favorite songs. I, I can no longer listen to it. I, I, I can't because I saw that documentary and I believe those women. I believe those women. So when I sat down to do the interview with him, he knew we were going to talk about it because it was his first interview after that documentary. Mm -hmm. And there again, giving him a platform and a space to tell his story. So when he 
started screaming and hollering and was hitting his fist. I didn't think that he wanted to hit me. I think that he was just frustrated. Mm -hmm. What I worried about is that he could accidentally hit me and that would hurt. <laughs> I thought they could be an accident. <laughs> but I'm sitting there and he's screaming and hollering and, and spit is flying everywhere. And it, one of them hit me right here on my lip. And I went, don't move, don't move. Just don't move, don't move. Because I had seen interviews with him and I saw that when he got mad, he would leave. And I, okay. I just didn't want him to leave. So I thought, if I just sit here very still and don't move, and I looked at him, looked at the chair, looked at him, looked at the chair to let him know, whatever is happening here, I'm going to wait till you're finished. And he he could see that. He could see that I wasn't trying to goad him or trying to amp him up, because I really wasn't. So I just waited very patiently and thought, okay, eventually, either he's going to walk out or he's going to sit back down. And he sat mm. back down, because I'm thinking, God, Please don't leave. I still have some more questions. Uh -huh. So I thought if, if I just sit, if I just sit very quietly, and he could see that. So the next day, I called to check on him because I was worried. People said, "Oh, you know that was an act." I to this day do not feel yeah. it was an act. Yeah, I think it was somebody who was very frustrated. He was insisting on his innocence, which, by the way, he's still doing. And I think that it just got to him. So I called to check on him, and do you know his people said to me. He's fine. He wants to thank you for allowing people to see his passion and his pain. I go, is that what he said? Is that what he thinks, is that what he thinks wow. happened? Wow. He wasn't angry at me. He wasn't angry at me. Wow. And now, you know, he's been found guilty. He's sitting in a jail in Chicago, and I don't think he's ever going to get out of uh, jail at this point. Yeah. Just a very sad story. But I think about those women. I talked to some of the women. Those women are not lying. They're not lying. Mm. So it was very painful. It was very painful. How did you perceive the two young women that you interviewed that were his girlfriends? Oh, man. My heart went out to them because at one point, you know, one of them just really mouthed off at me. She was very... Um, we used to call it smart alecky back in the day. As a matter of fact, her father called me and said, I'd like to apologize to you because my daughter wasn't raised that way. We're embarrassed the way she spoke wow. to me. Now, wow. Now, I've interviewed her since. And she said, she said, I, I look at the tape and I'm so embarrassed. So she is no longer with him. The other one, there's another one, Jocelyn, yeah. who has stayed with him. Yes. Who has stayed with him. But I just thought, oh, my gosh, guys, you have no idea what, what is happening to you right now. They were in their early 20s. Yeah. While they're sitting there telling me this stuff about how they feel. That was a moment. That was a moment. That was a moment. But I, I, I feel for them. How did you handle, and I'm trying to find the right phrase, but as a journalist and as a pop cultural Engager, you'll understand what I'm trying to ask. How did you handle your cultural credibility going up after that interview? Because now you're on the lips of the culture. And I'm quite sure that it may have been some positive, it may have been some negative, you know, just because when the culture starts to talk about you, that's another type of currency, right? That's another. Kirk, uh, wasn't I always part of the culture? <laughs> well, I think that the R. Kelly interview, let's just keep it, let's keep it a grand. The, the R. Kelly interview introduced you to the streets in a way. It introduced you to the hood. It introduced you to yes. the block. Yes. I became yeah. a meme. And how, I will say this. I yes. became a meme. Black people, yeah. Black time. people specifically, the uh, youth, black Twitter, 
you know, you became that chick, right? You know, so <laughs> so how did you as Gail King handle that level of currency? Well, I never thought about it that way because I have always loved black people. You know, Oprah says to me all the time, I don't know anybody that loves a Negro event more than you because I think <laughs> no, nobody can do it the way we do it, Kurt. Nobody, nobody. From here that to is, here to here. That is so funny. And I can hear her saying that to you. We can hear her saying Negro. Yeah, she goes, nobody can. Negro, yeah. Negro, yes. because you know. NAACP, Urban League, I don't care. I just, I like... Black people, who we are. Me too. And how we do it. Me too. Always, always. I'm pro-black. Trample little children to do the electric slide. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because I just think it's a fun thing. So it wasn't we're a magical people. it. Yeah. But I wasn't different, Kirk. This is the thing. I wasn't different. Maybe people perceive me as different, but I was still the same person. So I didn't think, you know, how am I going to handle all this? I, I, I didn't think that. And still don't. And still don't. But did you feel your real estate go up? Like, could you tangibly feel that, okay, I'm known in these streets now? Well, that was definitely a game changer in terms of how people in certain parts of the audience perceive me. There's no question. I I, I can't downplay that. Mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. People thought, hmm. I mean, and then, you know, several things happened around that time. I got other things that just sort of fell into my lap, Mm. you know, before and after that. You know, before we went on the air, Serena just retired and they asked me to do the interview with her at the U.S. Open for that opening night because I wanted Serena to win that first match so badly. Mm. You know, I knew the U.S. Open was going to be hard, but I actually thought she could have won it. But I just wanted her to win the first match. Mm. And so they were saying, win or lose, we want you to do a half court interview with Serena. And I was Flattered that they asked me. I was flattered when Harry Styles, the first artist, only artist so far to have 15 consecutive sold out nights at Madison Square wow. Garden. They asked Are you me serious? To, yeah, they asked me to be on stage and drop the banner, surprise Harry to drop the banner or covering. This is this is my life. So I had Serena. I had the queen in London covering her funeral. May she rest mm. in peace. That mm. was an amazing, amazing ceremony and celebration of her life. Cut to Harry Styles, cut to George and Amal Clooney having a big foundation event. They did their first interview with me uh, together as a couple. Wow. And so I feel that I, I can fit into a lot of boxes for people. And that is what I like. Somebody said, you know, Kid Cudi wants to do an interview. I really want to talk to him. He has a whole big thing about mental health. Mm-hmm. I'd love to sit down and do an interview with him. I mean, I just have very varied interest for a lot of different things. And I hope I never lose that. I hope I never lose it. As someone who reports the news, you have covered a lot of tragedy as well, though, right? You know, you've covered terrorism, mass shootings, police brutality, other injustices. And it's very obvious to me that you are very compassionate. And just to use just simple human terms, when you see the world kind of going crazy and people are just seeming to lose it, how do you not internalize those ills of the world or the news that you cover? Like, how do you cover it, but it does not cover you? Well, you know, you can't help but be affected by that. I mean, to this day, one of the most heartbreaking stories was the shooting of those school kids in Newtown, Connecticut. Those 20 Mm. little children who had their baby Mm. teeth. These guys were five years old, 20 little children and, and six teachers. And because I 
anchored the news in Connecticut for 18 years. Wow. That story really resonated with me. It hit a lot of people. It was like being punched in the gut. But, you know, you see somebody on the air. They're not robots. We are not robots. We have feelings just like everybody else. That, (laughs) to me, still remains one of the worst stories I've ever seen. You know, right now we're doing something on Paramount Plus. It's a special about that shooting in Las Vegas with the concert with Jason Aldean. Imagine you're a concert, you're a performer. Somebody goes into a hotel room and just starts firing down on the crowd for no reason. Yes. For no reason. Yes. Yes. We've got to figure out the gun situation in this country. I'm very bothered and very disturbed by that. I don't want to take guns from law abiding citizens. I'm not talking about that. But the people that can just take a gun and just mow somebody down just for the hell of it. We've got to, nobody really needs an assault rifle this, you, unless you're going to war. We, we've got to figure that out. But yeah, so what does, do you does think it is affect a, you? Yes, yes. What do you think is a maybe simpler solution to the gun issue that maybe you've had in your mind? Since you said that, what would you do? I would ban assault rifles. Today, I would ban assault rifles. These weapons are made for war. And so these people who were getting mowed down because of the velocity and the number of bullets that can be fired, you don't need an assault rifle. You don't. I agree. And, you know, the profile is, you know, for the most part, young white men between the ages of 18 and, say, 31. You know, there are always some outliers. But, you know, we've got to figure out a way. And they try to blame it on mental illness, These people, some of them are not mentally ill. They will tell you most mentally ill people are not going around harming people. Yes. They're not. That's so true. So they're trying to make this a mental health issue when it comes to the assault rifles. I I just think they ought to be banned. I agree with you. That's what I would do. I agree with you. That's what I would do. Gail, do you personally have a spiritual practice or a religious practice that you include in your day-to-day life? I know. I do need to be better at that. You know, you'll like this. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my grandfather was a minister in Birmingham, Alabama. Really? So when we would come, yeah, when we would come home, when we come back to the States, we'd have to go to church. And I thought, church, oh my God, it lasts all friggin' day, number one. <laughs> so, so that was never fun. When I was older, I would go to Bible study. Um, and I, I said, you know, Oprah has a very very firm church background. I did not. Mm-hmm. So when Diana Ross wrote her book, she had a book, her eyes are on the sparrow. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but God, Diana Ross, it's the, the title is so odd. It's called eyes on the sparrow. You think she likes birds? And she said, Gail, uh, Gail. <laughs> she goes, don't say that publicly. Don't say that publicly. Uh, and then, that's so Kirk, good. you'll like this. You'll like this. When she was on trial in Texas for the beef trial, Uh I was talking to a black producer who was going through some stuff at the station. And she said, well, no weapons formed against me shall prosper. I go, wait, wait, wait. Let me write that down. No weapons formed. I'm going to call Oprah because that is perfect for her, what she's going through. So I called Oprah up and I said, Oprah, I got this great saying. I was just talking to this producer. Andrea said... No weapons formed against me shall prosper. You should keep that in mind when she goes, Gail, that is from the Bible. I write that every morning, she said, on my my yellow legal pad. When I walk in, that's what I go. That is not from the Bible. Andrea just told it to me. I just heard it. 
She goes, I'm this telling so you, good. that's from the Bible. So I said, all right, I'm going to call you back. So I called Andrea. I go, Andrea, where did you get that, that saying that you just told me? No weapons formed against me shall prosper. She goes, that's from the Bible. I go, oh. So I, I called over my and said, you're right. It's in the Bible. She goes, hey, you I thought know you were it killing is. it. You thought I, you were killing it. No, Kirk, I was thinking... I said, Oprah, I got a great saying for you. I got a great <laughs> saying. No weapons formed against me shall prosper. Uh, so when you I say, to answer your question, I have some work I need to do on that. I have some work. I, I have some work I need to do on that. I do. <laughs> so cute. I do. I love going to church. Who do you listen to? I like A.R. Bernard, who's here in Brooklyn. I've been to his place a couple of times. He's amazing. I've been to his place a couple of times. Calvin Butts. I mean, I like a black church with good music and a good message. And that's what you get at the black church. Mm -hmm. I agree. But Sunday morning comes and I go, well, let's see. I can sleep in. <laughs> so I have some work I need to do. But I don't think you have to go to church to have a spiritual background. I don't. I don't. No, 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 I need no, to no, do no, no, no. I need to do better. I need to do better. No, no, no. Going to church doesn't make you... Um, more of a Christian than that's being right. in a garage right. makes you a car, you know? So, you that's know, that's, right. yeah. that's, Ooh, yeah. I like that yeah, you know? I listen to Kirk Franklin. Does that count? Have you heard of him? He's very good. He's very good. <laughs> He's okay. He's okay. He's okay. <laughs> but I do think that when people can find a good community to go to, I think yes. it makes the journey easier. You know I what I mean? Too. It makes the journey easier. Mm -hmm. And so it's good that you find your ways to click in. And thank you for asking it for mm -hmm. me. Now, I know you get tired of this question. And I know you get it all the time. Mm -hmm. So however you want to be able to give it to me, mm -hmm. I just want you to freestyle. As a matter of fact, since you're so part of pop culture I, and you love hip hop, I want you to freestyle on this. Tell us the genesis, the history, the beginning of the Bonnie and Clyde relationship of you and Miss Oprah. Just give it to us. And you can do it any way you want to. Just tell us how did it start? Wait, where y'all no, well, we at a swim we party? Nope, we were 21 and 22. Were y'all eating ribs? Nope. Were y'all eating barbecue and some potato salad? Okay. <laughs> we worked at a TV station in Baltimore. I was a new kid. I was the new production assistant slash writer. She was the anchor woman. And, you know, in newsroom hierarchy, I'm down here and she's up here. Okay. And one day the weather was bad. I was making, you know, $12,500. She was making like 28 something. <laughs> And so I had an apartment that was an hour drive, was a big snowstorm. She said, you can just stay at my house, which speaks to who Oprah is, because it's not like we were friends. But she knew that I had a long ride. She knew that the weather was bad. She said, you know, instead of driving in bad weather, just stay at my place. I said, I don't have any clothes. And she goes, you know, you can borrow one of my dresses. We were both size 10 back then. And I got to her house. She said, I draw the line at a toothbrush. We're going to have to stop and buy a toothbrush at the drugstore. <laughs> I said, I don't have underwear. She goes, I have underwear. It's clean. Oh, my God. So I went to her house, and we stayed up, Kirk, all night talking. Like, do you think so-and-so is boinking? Do you like so-and-so? And we found out that we had very like philosophies boinking. about life. Boinking. Boinking. Yeah. I haven't heard but boinking. <laughs> and guess what, Kirk? They were. So we have, we have very like philosophies about life and felt the same way about people. And we stayed up that night talking, and we've been talking ever since. So that was 21 and 22. Now we're 67 and 68. She's older. 67 and 68. <laughs> and we're still talking. We're still talking. I mean, you know, when you have a best friend, and people, women understand this who have one, you know, 
uh, I trust her. She trusts me. We are each other's biggest cheerleaders and we can give it to each other straight. And it's good to have somebody who, you know, will always tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. And she is certainly that for me. And I am certainly that for her. You know, I knew her before she was Oprah Winfrey in big flashing lights. And now she is a worldwide icon. Did I see that coming? No, but I knew she was not like the other kids in the class. I knew that for a very long time. I'm going to ask you to give us a nugget of wisdom that a lot of relationships face and they do not know sometimes how to navigate through it. And I think that your influence, your power, your experience can really help us with this. Mm -hmm. Gail, how did you navigate when this friend of yours in your early 20s turned into a cultural icon and just a juggernaut in the human framework. And how did you not deal with whether it's jealousy or Mm. envy or comparison or judgment? How did you maintain a relationship where the friendship survived, even though as your friend, she... She became a different individual, not internally, but her influence and her impact. How did you handle that so that others can learn Mm -hmm. how to still value? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we even sit in marriages. I mean, you know, it could be a husband whose wife takes off. And and, and 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 for him, you know, the husband feels less than and he feels all these different things. How did you do it? Oh, I tell you, I tell you, it was very easy for me because. I never saw myself standing in her shadow. I saw myself standing in her light, number one. How did you do that? Because I was always happy for her, always. And I never thought that whatever she was doing took anything away from me. I was very happy in my own life, very happy with my own things. And I never coveted, thought, God, I wish I could do that, or I know I could do that, or I'm just as good. I never thought that. I never thought that. Come on, Gail. That just sounds too easy. That Ask sounds her, too good. You. That's Ask that's her, too. She will tell you. Really? I mean, I've always wanted to work hard and do a good job, but I've never thought, oh my God, that should be me. That shouldn't be her. Or why isn't me? No. I was always so happy for her success and still am and still am. I say this about Oprah and about my favorite daughter, Kirby, and favorite son, Will. I love when people get to meet them in person because to me, they never disappoint. They never disappoint. And when you get to meet them, you walk away and say, oh my God, she's so great. Or your son is so wonderful. Your daughter's so this. Oprah is so normal. I mean, nothing makes me prouder than that. So I didn't have moments when I just felt, oh, woe is me. Why isn't it me? I was just so happy for her success. And still, you know, the Oprah show has been off the air now for over 10 years. I just said to her the other day, I was watching a show and they said something about, oh, you think you Oprah or something. I said, you were still held in such high regard. I love that. Yes. I love that. Yeah. that that's how people feel. Yes. That they, they understand her credibility, her integrity, her intelligence, that she really does represent goodness. She really is a force of good. And Oprah does the right thing when nobody is looking. When nobody is looking, obviously she is that girl. Obviously, she is that girl. So it hasn't been hard. Now maybe if I thought that I could do what she does, or I wanted to be her, you know, I, I've only had a couple moments when I thought, when I felt a little jealous, and that was Tina Turner when she was dancing on stage with Tina. Turner. <laughs> God, I do want to do that. 
no, that I was do dope. think that was cool. That was so cool. Yes. But I've never, Very but I've much. never thought, oh yeah, that was, that was, ah, I love Tina. But I've never sat and thought that. Were there challenges to stay connected when she became as busy as she did? No, 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 no. And you know what's funny is Are we- Are you we, serious? You know, people thought when I got married now, now you guys won't be friends. And when uh, favorite daughter Kirby was born over, came to the house to see the baby, wearing a t-shirt, Kirk, that says, husbands come and go, but best friends last forever. Wow. And I went, of all the shirts, why are you wearing that? I love it, though. And she I goes, love it. I don't know. And, and darned if we didn't get divorced, and Oprah and I are still tight, but I thought that was kind of funny. No, 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 that's real. That's good. We've never lived in the same city, but we talk just about every single day about everything and nothing. So no, it hasn't been hard. She knows that she can trust me. She knows it. And I, I feel the same about her. That's why I don't understand people who have been in the inner circle and then they write books. I think when you've been in the someone's inner circle and then you betray them and write a book, mm. even if Oprah and I had a falling out, I wouldn't do that. Mm. I wouldn't preach, do that. preach. I wouldn't do that. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, she just dropped a dime. Ooh, that is so good. Ta-da. That is so, <laughs> that is so good. Listen, you have proven the reason why you have longevity. You have proven uh, just in this interview why you're so swaggy, why you're able to go from the White House to the trap house. To the barbershop. You have a lot of fun at the barbershop. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That's where the philosophers live. That's that's where, that's where you get. Listen, that's the real journalism, right? That that's what's yes, happening. Yes, it's the truth. But you, I would take Will when he was a little boy to the barbershop and just sit there and listen to the guys. I love listening uh, to them. Oh, uh, I the still best. go. I still it's go. It's the best. And, it's the best. And I see that. And now you are mother of two wonderful adults. Yes. You celebrate them all the time, just like you've been doing. Yes. Your favorite son, Will, and your favorite daughter, Kirby. And now you yes. have, and I a have a grandson. Tell us about your grandchild. I'm going to show you a picture right now. Show us. This show little us. boy, he just turned one. And, you know, I know everybody has grandchildren all the time. I get it. <laughs> but there's something about when you have your own. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Let me see. Where is it? Oh, mm-hmm. Isn't he cute? my Time goodness. To go. So he's, oh, he just turned my goodness. one. So we're waiting. We're waiting for him to take his first steps. We're very excited. That is beautiful. But listen, people have grandchildren all the time, but it's a circle of life, Kirk. You know this. It's a circle of life. What is it teaching you? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's something about seeing life through a child's eyes, mm. you know, and, and what children are, they are just little sponges that just really want to please you. You know, hate has to be taught. Children don't even see color. Yes. And so you, you just hope that you can raise these happy, healthy, responsible, kind human beings. Mm. And I have no doubt that Kirby and her husband, Virgil, will do that. Knock on wood, so far, so good. She told me the other day she had a very good template. I like that. Because I got divorced when they were four and five. And, you know, you wonder, you worry, you worry that uh, the kid's going to be screwed up when they're divorced, da, 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 da. But what I know is that when kids are raised in a lot of love and they feel secure, they will be all right. It will be all right. What is next for Gail King? Like, is there a dream interview? I would like to meet someone nice. Put that on your list of things to do. Find a nice guy for Gail. And dream interview. Oh, God, there's so many people. I want to talk to that police officer at the Capitol 
who kept everybody out of harm's way. His name is Eugene Goodman. Mm. You saw the man who was running up the steps. Yes. And then he, he, he led the protesters away. Yes. I met him in person and I just started bowing down, bowing down. <laughs> he said, I like you, but I'm still not talking to you. Uh, is that what he said? But, I mean, I just admire. Yep. I like you, but I'm, I'm not talking. I mean, I, I, I hope that he will change his mind because what he did that day is a true hero. I want to talk to him. Okay. You are 65 years old, correct? 67. You and are Kirk, 67 I like them younger. I like well, them younger. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, <laughs> how young, how young do you want me to go? <laughs> I, don't want some, I don't want somebody I could have given birth to. I don't want that. Okay. So how young? I say if it starts with a five, that's good. But okay. you want them to be okay. young at heart too. I see yes. so many guys my age that are just, they're just tired. They want to go to bed. They don't want to. <laughs> and I don't want to be out in the streets, but you want somebody that likes to travel, that likes to go to movies, that likes to go to plays, that likes to do stuff. Yes. So, you know, yes. I, I like somebody that likes to drink up life just the way I do. Because I really, I am so happy to be on the planet. And I want somebody that feels that too. So I'm not, I'm not asking for much, Kirk. I only need one. <laughs> I don't want a bunch, just one. You don't want a couple of little boy toys. Not somebody that I won't tell nobody about. Somebody that you can take place. Ah, ah, <laughs> I love you. Gary, you Kirk, are funny. I gotta go. You are I gotta funny. Go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going, I'm not going as, to find Miss Gale. Not as funny as you. Not as funny I'm as going you. to find Miss Gale a boy toy, and he's going to love Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't want a boy toy. I don't want a boy toy. I want a grown-ass man, Kirk. Not a boy toy. Not a boy toy. Not a boy toy. That's your other friend named Gail that wants a boy to Not this one. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot thank this queen enough. She is a legend. She is transcending every platform of journalism and giving us a greater understanding of what legendary is. Ladies and gentlemen, help me celebrate the greatness. Help me celebrate the greatness of Gail King. Thank you thank so you. much, Ms. Gail thank King. Thank you, Kirk Franklin. Thank you. <laughs> Leaving meeting. Bye-bye. That was fun, Kirk. That was fun. Thank Bye. You. you were great. Thank you. So thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words, man. I hope you are enjoying yourself. I hope you're, man, enjoying the journey that you're taking with your boy. And if you are, please do me a favor. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Can you do that for me? I'd appreciate it. And don't you forget, you can never go too far or you can't come back home. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music Entertainment, RC Inspiration, and something else. Produced by Janicia Francis with senior producer Danielle Jones-Wesley. Associate producers are Danya Abdel-Hamid, Rachel Chodar, and Kyra Asabe Bansu. It's executive produced by Ron Hill, Reese Brooks, Sarita Wesley, Tom Koenig, Hybrid Agency, and myself, your boy, Kirk Franklin. This episode was mixed by Calvin Bailiff, and special thanks to Charlie Yadon, and Steve Ackerman.